You're listening to In Defense with Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetics podcast equipping you to give a defense for the hope that is in you and to speak truth in Jesus' name. On today's episode, Dr. Willard will summarize the Kalam cosmological argument and present it as evidence for God's existence. You are listening to In Defense with me, Dr. R.G. Willard, a Christian apologetic bringing you an appeal and defense of the Christian faith. We are on episode five of the series, My Favorite Argument for God's Existence, the Kalam Cosmological Argument. Last episode, we took a look at premise two, the universe began to exist, and took a look at two major categories of considerations to believe that this premise is true or even more plausibly true than not. We took a look at the philosophical considerations against actual infinites, and then we took a look at the scientific considerations of the Big Bang cosmology, as well as the argument from the law of thermo dynamics. On this episode, we're going to have a summation to this argument. We have the conclusion that the universe began to exist or the universe was caused to come into existence that follows from the argument. Let me restate the argument one more time, and I'm going to explain what I'm going to do in this episode five, the summation episode. So the Kalam cosmological argument is this. Everything that begins to exist has the cause of its existence. Promise two, the universe began to exist. Conclusion. Therefore, the universe has a cause of its existence. So if we believe one and two are true or more possibly true than not, with a conclusion should necessarily follow for us since it is in a deductive argument that is valid. So where does this bring us? What can we do? You might go, Ryan, that's fantastic. We believe the universe began to exist. All space-time came into existence, and before nothing existed, what does the Kalam have to do and tell us anything about God's existence? How does this help us with thinking that God existing is a reasonable conclusion to hold to? Well, what's interesting about the Kalam, I think the Kalam brings us to certain attributes of what takes or what makes to be the first cause of the universe. So I want to run through five of these attributes that the Kalam brings us to be the first cause of the universe. So the first one is this. According to the Kalam, it seems that the first cause needs to be timeless slash eternal. Timeless slash eternal. Think about this for a second. If an actual infinite cannot exist, right? If, if the premise two is true and the philosophical considerations is true, then the past cannot be actually infinite. That means all of space, time, all of matter, all of the energy, everything would come into existence. All time, all matter, all physical substances. So that tells me the first cause would have to be eternal and exist, quote unquote, for a better lack of terms, before time. It would be timeless as well as eternal. This would have to be an attribute of the first cause if the Kalam is correct, timeless and eternal. The second attribute with the first cause would have to be like exceedingly and like crazily powerful. Think about this. Think about bringing all space and time and matter into existence. Just think about the sun. Think about our galaxy. Think about how many stars are just in our galaxy and how large they are and how small we are in relation to everything out there. The first cause would have to have brought all of that space, all of that time, all of that energy and matter into existence. 
This is a kind of thing that seems to demonstrate a crazy and exceedingly amount of power. The first cause would have to be powerful. Timeless and eternal, exceedingly powerful. And the third would be spaceless slash immaterial. If all in nature or space-time came into existence at the first cause, then the first cause must then be spaceless, since no time existed prior to the first cause of the universe. Since, sorry, no space would exist prior to the first cause of the universe. Nothing, not being made of space and matter, it seems then it'd have to be immaterial. And so if the first cause existed without space and without uh, without matter, without room, right, I should say, then it would also be immaterial. So the first cause would be spaceless and immaterial. So we have timeless and eternal, exceedingly powerful, spaceless and immaterial. The next one is what is called necessary. Now, there's a great question that I think should be asked and can be asked is what then caused the first cause? What then caused the first cause? Now, that's, I think, a good question. But I think what comes from that question is this next question. What caused that cause? Or what caused that cause? Or what caused that cause? And so on and so forth. We are going to find ourselves asking this question and finding ourselves in this infinite regress of causes of the first cause. But if the Kalam argument is right and premise true, we can't have this infinite amount of causal regresses of first causes. So that tells me. Somewhere in the past, there was this full stop original first cause that is necessary for the creation of everything. And this thing would seem to be necessary by its own nature. Timeless, eternal, exceedingly powerful, spaceless, immaterial, necessary. And last but not least, one of my favorites, it seems the first cause would have to be personal. A personal first cause. And there's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot in the literature on why the first cause would seem to be personal from the Kalam argument. Let me give you two of my favorite. The first one states this. If all of the necessary and complete conditions are in the cause, the effect should take place. Let me state that again. If all the necessary and complete conditions are in the cause, the effect should take place. But this begs the question then, why is the universe then not eternal with the first cause? Why is it not eternal if all the necessary and complete conditions are in the cause and the effect did not take place? If the universe began a finite time ago, it is not eternal. Why then is it not eternal? Well, I think there is just one condition that solves this dilemma. And it's the first cause made a choice. The first cause made a choice. All the necessary and complete conditions are not in the cause because a choice was not made to create the universe that finite time ago. And a choice being made is, by, is a personal thing. Therefore, the first cause is personal. The second reason why I think the first cause is personal is given by Dr. Craig himself. He goes, there are two main explanations of causal explanations, right? He goes, there's a scientific law in, in initial conditions or is a personal explanation from an agent. Now, he posits this example, and I want to give you guys this example. I'm going to put myself and my wife in, in, in the example for a quick second. 
suppose I come home and I see that there is uh, a tea kettle steeping on the stove, and I ask my wife, why is the tea kettle steeping? Now, she could give me this explanation. Well, Ryan, I want you to sit down for a second. I'm going to explain to you how heat actually works. And she runs through this whole scientific dialogue of the flames uh, melting with the, uh, verging with the copper, causing the friction in the molecules to move, which transfers into the water, and then it gets hot, and then you put it on the, the leaves, and the leaves soak, and all these wonderful scientific explanations. If that's what she offered me, I would go, what in the world are you talking about? That is clearly not what I meant by that question. Why is there a kettle steeping on the stove? Or she could say this, well, honey, I wanted some tea. I just wanted some tea. She had a personal explanation of a choice she made. But here's the kicker. If the universe began to exist, and there is no space, and there is no time, and there is no matter, what scientific law and initial conditions are there to even describe why this is the case? It seems the only avenue or condition out is this personal explanation by an agent. And once again, an explanation by an agent is a personal choice. And if this is true, this gives us the fifth attribute of the first cause of the universe. Timeless, eternal, exceedingly powerful, spaceless and material, necessary, impersonal. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Because if we have all of those attributes of the first cause that we find through the Kalam, I think Christians are on very safe grounds to go, hey, isn't that kind of what we mean by God from the Bible? I mean, we, we know more of God through this special and general revelation through uh, scripture and nature, but, but isn't this sort of what we mean by God? That he is timeless, eternal, exceedingly powerful, spaceless, immaterial, necessary, and personal? Look at these verses. When it comes to this eternal God, Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We also see God is extremely powerful in the Christian scriptures. Job, you don't have to go any farther than the other Job to see this, but look what Job 26, 14 states. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? We see God is immaterial and spaceless. John 4, 24, God is spirit. When it comes to necessary, no, the Bible doesn't have these philosophical terms for necessity, but we see some scripture pointing to the fact that we can believe this to be true. In Genesis 1, it points to the fact that God in the beginning, created literally everything. And in John 1, points to Christ that anything that ever was made or could be made was made through him. As well as we see God in the Christian scriptures in the Bible as personal. He's our heavenly father. We have special revelations. We see God speaking directly and dealing directly with people. He is a personal being in relationship to his creation. Why is it so strange then when Christians say we believe that a being like God exists? When we look at the Kalam and see, look at these attributes this argument leads us to, can't we see these attributes found in the God we find in Christian scriptures? That when we think of God, 
we see these attributes as well. If this is the case, I think us believers, us Christians, are on safe grounds and reasonable to conclude that a being like God, in fact, does exist, and that kind of first cause indeed created the universe. So, this leads us to our next episode. The summation, I should say, the last episode in this series on my favorite argument, the Kalam Cosmological Argument. We're going to take a look at four of the top objections I personally hear when I talk to people, whether it be on internet or through college campuses, that I receive when discussing the Kalam Cosmological Argument. So if you have any questions or thoughts, feel free to contact me at ryan at ryanwillert.org. That's W-I-L-L-E-R-T dot org. Ryan at ryanwillard.org or go visit the River Radio podcast page or if you want to bless us and come in and sponsor us or even tithe or donate to what we are doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to do that and be so grateful for you to do that. Until next time, when we finish up this series on the Kalam Cosmological This podcast is a production of River Radio Ministries. You can find more podcasts like this one at riverradio.com. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now. And be sure to tell a friend so they can listen too.